Hey everybody, this is Ernie Johnson, and welcome to EJ's Game Plan. It's your guide to working in sports media. Today we'll be talking to John Wiener, also known as Stugatz, who is a sports radio host on the Dan LeBetard Show on ESPN Radio. I am live. I figured it out all by myself. It is an honor to be a teacher in the Ernie Johnson School of Journalism. It is. And I hope I'm doing this correctly here on Twitter Live. Uh, you're going to give me a second because I'm going to close my office door, but I'm not going to let you leave me and I'm not going to leave you. I'm just closing my office door. Okay. That's all I'm doing because my kids are like many of of you, they are uh, taking classes right now online. So we're going to talk some journalism here for an hour or so. I'll take your questions. I'm looking forward to this. I appreciate Ernie uh, giving me the opportunity. I said earlier, uh, never in my wildest dreams uh, did I think I would arrive at a place where Ernie Johnson, during an unprecedented time, would hold an online social media school of journalism and allow me to be one of his teachers. But that's where we've arrived, and that's where we are in 2020, where a dope like me, with no journalistic credibility whatsoever, never wanted it, wasn't seeking it, could arrive at the same place as Ernie Johnson, could arrive at the same place as Dan Levitard, as Michael Wilbon, as Tony Kornheiser, as Bob Lee. That is amazing. I mean, it really is to me. I love the hearts. I love all the questions that are coming in. I will get to them uh, in just a few minutes. For those of you who don't know who I am, I am Stu Gatz. My real name is John Wiener. Um... And my name on the air is Stu Gods. Now, I maintain that the name that I use on the air, Stu Gods, is actually better than my real name, John Wiener. And that's why I stay with it. Hank Goldberg gave me that name, and I'll get to him in just a second. People ask me uh, all the time how I got into this business. And I'm assuming if you're watching this, um, you probably have questions, that exact question, or questions, questions like that. Um, and I will tell you, first off, I am just amazed at the amount of hearts, the amount of questions coming in. But more importantly, I am amazed that I figured this out all by myself. I, this is an absolute <laughs> miracle that I was able to figure this out all by myself. So I, I think I'm a really good person to talk to in regards of how to get into this business, some advice to get into this business. Ernie said something very, 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 very important. Uh, when he was on the air with us at around 1230 Eastern today on our show on ESPN, uh, that everyone takes a different path. Uh, we arrive basically at the same spot, but everyone takes a different path. And I've certainly taken a much different path than most. Um, this is something I knew I wanted to do. I remember the day. I remember the exact moment. I was in the car with my dad uh, listening to at the time, uh, you know, the only 24 hour sports radio station in America, which was WFAN in New York. And I was listening to Mike and the Mad Dog, and my dad picked me up from practice, drove me home. And it's the first time I had listened to that. And they weren't athletes. They sounded like me. They, sound, they talked about sports the way me and my brother did, the way me and my friends did. And I was roughly 16 years old, and I told my dad in the car, right then and there, I asked him a question first. Dad, are these guys getting paid for this? His response was, yes, they're getting paid a lot for this. And once I knew they were getting paid a lot, I said, and I could talk and I'm not shy and I had opinions. I said, Dad, that's what I want to do for a living. I want to do whatever these two guys are doing. Or an athletes, they were just two guys. They were me and you yucking it up about New York sports. And I said, Dad, that's what I want to do for a living. And from that day on, I pursued it relentlessly. And so to get into this business, to arrive where, where I've arrived at, and never in my wildest dreams did I think – 
I'd be here. I got into the business with the goal of either going to ESPN or WFAN. That was the end game for me. If I can get to either of those two places, uh, I'd be super happy. And I've arrived at one of those places at ESPN, and I could not be happier. If you told me that even, I don't know, 10 years ago, I probably would have laughed you out of the room. But um, I think the key to this industry is identifying, A, that you want to do it. Okay, and then once you identify that you want to do this for a living, master one thing. Okay, that would be my advice to you. Master one thing. There are too many people who try to get into this business who say they and I talk to them all the time. They ask me for advice. They don't know if they want to be a play by play guy. They don't know if they want to be a studio host like Ernie is. They don't know if they want to be a talk show host like I am. They don't know if they want to do print. They don't know if they want to do radio. They don't know if they want to podcast. They don't know if they want to do TV. Have a really definitive idea of what it is you want to do and then pursue that thing, whatever it is, writing, speaking, TV, producing, uh, you know, being an executive, a program director, whatever it is. Um, Pursue that one thing relentlessly. Master your craft. Pursue it relentlessly. Because other opportunities will come once you've, once you've mastered that. And the best example I can give you is the guy I do the show with every day, 10 to 1 Eastern on ESPN and ESPN News, uh, and that is Dan Levitard. Uh, Dan set out. He wanted to be a print journalist. He, became, he mastered it. He's a great writer. He's one of the best journalists, sports journalists that we have in America. Uh, he mastered that. Never in his wildest dreams did he think he wanted to be on radio or TV. He just wanted to write. And he mastered that skill and he was great at it. And because he was so great at it, people then started hiring him for other opportunities. I hired Dan to do the afternoon show on a local radio station down here in Miami called 790 The Ticket. Uh, I can tell you, speaking for myself, never, ever wanted to write. Never really thought about being on TV. Just wanted to do talk radio. And and so uh, whether you think I mastered that or not, I probably haven't. Um, I really, I put all my efforts and energy into sports radio, um, and getting my foot in the door. And because I mastered that one thing and I knew what it is that I wanted to do other opportunities, once I made it to ESPN, all these other opportunities started coming in. Never in my wildest imagination that I think I'd fill in on first take or, you know, do Mike and Mike with Greedy or Mike and Mike with Golick or, uh, do around the horn or any of the op- or call the final four for the uh, for the NCAA for women's lacrosse last year, which was which was uh, a dream come true. So uh, that's the best advice I can give people out there is is figure out a that you want to be in this business, b what it is you want to do in that business, and then c once you've figured all that out, uh, pursue that one thing relentlessly, master it, because uh, other opportunities will come from that. So. Uh, that is, uh, that is my little spiel. I have done everything in this business. I have been an intern. I have been a board op. I've been an overnight board op. I've done overnight talk shows, overnight updates. Uh, I've done, I've been a general manager of a local radio station. I've been a program director. I've done sales. Uh, and so I have done it all. And, um, you know, with that being said, I feel like I am a a good guy, uh, to talk to about how to, uh, get into this business. Um, overnights are brutal. Someone writes, so I don't know how, I, what do I click here to, to answer questions? I see hearts, um, questions are, are kind of, uh, pouring in. Someone says a classic Stu God's outfit. Listen, man, I haven't left my house in like 16 days. I, th- I probably worn this 15 of the last 16 days. 
Um, all right, so now I just have to look through. You just want me to rank quarterbacks? I'm not going to rank quarterbacks, okay? If you have questions, a true underdog story, if you want to come up with uh, the title of what my story would be, uh, that is fine, too. Uh, but go ahead and uh, fire away with your questions. If you get to sit here and ask me to rank quarterbacks, I mean, I'll probably weave it in. Um, you want me to rank the top five quarterbacks of all time or you want the top five current quarterbacks? Uh, are we hiring? Um, is the show hiring? No. We have too many producers as is. And you would think the show would be better uh, if we had, uh, you know, given the amount of producers that we have. But no, we are not hiring right now. It's an exciting time to be in broadcasting. Someone asked. Uh, is it an exciting time to be in broadcasting? Yeah, it is, because there's so many possibilities. Um, the opportunities are limitless. And the advantage that young people have now that I did not have when I was growing up is I would have to drive like 90 minutes each way just to get studio time to record my demo tapes. Now with Twitter Live, with your computer, with the ability to record, the ability to go live, to create your own YouTube channel, to go on Snapchat, to do all that good stuff, you can get the reps on your own. You don't need to travel to studios. You don't need to book studio time. You can create your own show. You can create your own demo tapes. You can do all that. And so uh, I would say the advantages now for, for young people trying to get into this business are certainly greater than they were when I was trying to get into this business. Um, someone asked, is Brady's first pass a completion? Of course it is. And so are his next 600 passes, and the Bucs are going to win the Super Bowl. Uh, where are the hot takes? I'm not doing hot takes here. Um, I'm just not going to do it. But if you guys have questions, who was my biggest mentor growing up? I don't want to say, and it's a very good question. Um, I don't want to say I had a mentor. I wish I could pause this. I don't even know how to pause this. How do you pause this thing? There's so many good questions that are flying by. Um, to answer the question about the mentor, it wasn't so much a mentor as it was Mike and the Mad Dog. That's it, Mike and Chris. Like I heard those two guys. They weren't former athletes. They were two guys that sounded like me, talked like me and my friends. Uh, broke down sports the way we broke down sports. Uh, and therefore, I set out wanting to be more of a Chris Russo type than a Mike Francesa type uh, because that's just my personality. But I would say if there are two guys who are directly responsible for me getting into this business, uh, it would be Mike and Chris. Uh, and that's it. I think they had a lot of influence on a lot of kids who grew up in New York, Long Island, the city, New Jersey. Uh, they, grew, they had a ton of influence on a lot of people, and I've spoken to both of them about that separately. Um, and they are the, they are the reasons that that is it. station WFAN. And those two guys are the reasons that I got into, uh, this industry has the hair looking under the cap. You tell me terrible. I need a haircut. Mike won't let me because I'm supposed to walk Jorge Masvidal into the octagon for his next fight. And Mike wants me to be able to grow out cornrows, cor uh, cornrows, excuse me. Uh, someone said I look homeless. Thank you for that. Where is Finney? He's being walked right now by my wife. Do you, uh, does it make you laugh every time? Oh, I missed that. I missed that. Did you hire Roy? I did hire Roy. Uh, I hired Roy a very long time ago, and Roy is still working with us today. So uh, that's pretty cool. I really wish I could pause these. There are so many questions. Perhaps Ernie will send me a text. Tell us about the darkest, the darkest time in your life. Uh, I don't have a darkest time in my life. The beauty of this job is I never feel like I'm working. OK, that's that's the beauty, I think, for all of us. I think Ernie would tell you the same thing. I think others who have done this and others that will do this will tell you. I know Scott Van Pelt's coming up uh, later this week. I am telling you right now, the beauty, the beautiful thing about this job is I never feel 
like I am working. Someone asked, is the Connecticut School of Broadcasting good? Yeah, I went there. I graduated from there, and I'm working at ESPN. This <laughs> is 10 to 1. What Connecticut School of Broadcasting does in schools like Connecticut School of Broadcasting is they just teach you the ins and outs, okay? They help you with the ins and outs. They help you get your foot in the door, and then the rest is up to you. The rest is just totally up to you. Um, when's the last time you played lacrosse? I haven't played lacrosse in a long time. I am coaching lacrosse. How many packs? No, we're not going to do that. Top 10 journalism major students of all time. Go. You guys are asking terrible questions. Hold on. I'm going to pick some good ones. How can I grow my podcast and get sponsors? That's a very good question. So, you, like I said earlier, anyone can start a podcast right now. Anybody. And no, someone asked me, to, uh, did Ernie get any courtside seats? The answer is no, but he will be getting courtside seats for doing this for him, okay? Um, and by the way, a little bit of Stugatz and everyone with Ernie. Okay, a little bit of Stugatz and everyone. He did the first, uh, he taught the first class, and then he farmed out the rest. I am proud of you, Ernie Johnson. That is how you do it. That is very Stugatzian of you. Back to how do you grow your podcast. First off, here's a very important lesson for people. If you want to grow something and have it grow organically or just have it grow in a way that our show grew. I learned this from Dan. This is not from me, okay? Oh, Ernie says, touch the screen and see if you can scroll at your speed. Hold on a second. This is very interesting. Oh, I just stopped everything. Oh, it's slowing down. This is great. Good suggestion by Ernie. Everything is stopping. <laughs> okay. So the lesson I learned from Dan, because a lot of this stuff sounds the same. So back to that podca uh, podcast question, okay? A lot of this stuff, and again, I learned this from Levitor. A lot of sports radio just sounds the same, okay? And I'm not criticizing the host. Who are, who are doing it that way, what, because it's the way I'd be doing it if left to my own devices. When Dan and I got together and decided to do a show together, and it's been 16, 17 years now, uh, Dan came to me one day and said, hey, all this stuff sounds the same. If we could just stand out, and it doesn't take a lot, and just be a little bit different, just a little bit different, I think we'll really stand out. And so I think that's a valuable lesson to everyone trying to get into this business. Don't do what Mike and Mike did. Don't do what Mike and the Mad Dog did. Don't try to emulate what Dan and I have done. Do you. But make sure you and whatever it is that you do do stands out and is different. Because everything is very cookie cutter in our industry. And I think the shows that stand out and take some chances and try to do things a little bit differently are the shows that really have great success. The reason I love Ernie's show and the TNT pregame show, and it's the best pregame show uh, anywhere going, that in college game day, is because those guys do not take themselves very seriously, and they stand out. Every other pregame show is basically the same. What's the difference between college game day and the pregame show on TNT that Ernie hosts? And Ernie's the star of that show. I don't care what Barkley says. Barkley's told me the reason that thing works is only because of Ernie Johnson and how professional and good he is sitting in the middle of all that chaos and that mess. Um, they're different. That's what makes those two pregame shows stand out from all the other pregame shows. They're doing it differently. And I can point to this one story, okay, um, this one episode of Ernie's pregame show on TNT where Shaq was running back and he was going to show you something on film, but he tripped over, a, you know, like a plant or a potted plant or something like that. And most shows would have laughed for a second and then sprinted away and gotten back to the big NBA news. And I think this happened during the NBA playoffs. Those guys sunk into it. Barkley, Shaq, Ernie, Kenny Smith, they sunk into it. They didn't care about, you know, what was going on in the NBA for a half hour to an hour. All they cared about was living in that moment where Shaq turned around, ran off, ran off their stage, and tripped over a plant. They played it back relentlessly. They made fun of Shaq. It was different. It was great. I maintain it's the best episode they've ever done. 
because they don't take themselves seriously and they have the ability to sink into it. Even when they mess up, they don't care. And they didn't feel a need to get back to the NBA news because they knew the audience was enjoying that so much. So building your podcast, make sure it stands out, make sure that it's different, make sure it's not cookie cutter. And then a great question you asked about sales, okay? I always tell hosts, if, if we're gonna agree, most of us are pretty much equal in doing this, right? We're equal, you know, there's not a big difference between, I don't know, Dan Patrick and Ernie. Having sales, having clients, okay? Having clients attached to you, whether you know them through family or whether you just build good relationships, sales is the most important thing, one of the most important things in our industry. And even as a host, having clients that you can rely on, that will be there for you, that will spend money with you, no matter what it is you're doing. Because think about it, if you're hiring, okay? If you're hiring and talent, and we agree that all talent is pretty much, pretty much equal, right? But you're a guy who's doing the hiring. I am hiring someone to, to develop a podcast. And two people walk in, okay? And person A has a great idea but no sales. And person B has a great idea and 10 sponsors that he can bring to the table. Who do you think I'm choosing? I'm choosing person B who has the great idea but also has 10 sponsors. So that means he's bringing money to the table. He's bringing money to me. Therefore... I could make money off of him and have the ability to pay that person to do the podcast. So uh, I am telling you, the more range you have in our industry, the more things that you have done, sales included, the better it's going to serve you moving forward. Someone asked me about Pearl Jam songs, uh, my top three Pearl Jam songs. I don't know why you asked me that, but you did. Uh, Yellow Ledbetter, uh, uh, Dissident, and Breathe, probably. Um How'd you guys get into the biggest sports show in the world? I don't know if we are the biggest sports show in the world. The numbers would suggest that we are. Um, but what I would tell you is the way we got there is by exactly what, it, what I just said, by being different, by, by not taking ourselves seriously, by making fun of our mistakes. I say it all the time. There are a million people who are on the road every single day, not now, but on typical days, that know way more sports than me and Dan. Okay, but what me and Dan do is, A, we stand out by being different. We don't take ourselves seriously. We tell you you don't know as much sports as you probably do. We're not afraid to tell you that. Um, and that's okay. And that's fine. But what we're good at and we know we're good at it is entertaining. And we know we're good at making fun of ourselves. And therefore, we stand out. We stand out. But I will tell you this. When the serious stuff comes, when it comes across our desk, it is a great, it is very reassuring for me to know that we have one of the best sports journalists and best communicators in America as the pillar of our show. So when that serious stuff comes, comes across our desk, Dan does it as well as anyone. I think as a show, we do it as well as anyone. But uh, what really makes our show stand out is we do try to find the funny in everything, even if it's ourselves. And we don't take ourselves seriously, and therefore we ask everyone else by extension to not take themselves uh, too seriously. So... Uh, that's really how our show uh, became, I really think that's how it became. It's, it's a personality-driven show, and it's episodic. We, we really kind of, wherever we, we leave off on a certain day is usually where we'll take off the next day. And so we did that uh, almost by design with podcast in mind. Um, let's see what else we got here. Is a banana a sandwich? No, episodic is a word. Don't challenge me on that. 
leave ESPN and go to, no, I'm not leaving ESPN. I don't want to leave ESPN. I just told you the main goal here was to get the WFAN or, or ESPN. And I did meatball parm or chicken parm, chicken parm every day. Uh, what are you going to do to get through quarantine? Uh, this, I'm going to do this every day. Becoming, t- uh, becoming uh, Ernie's permanent uh, teacher. Uh, people trying to get in the radio should be asking to do. All right. So that's a good question. What should I, I want to get into radio? What should I, what should I do? Well, I just told you, you've decided that you wanted to get into radio. Now pursue that relentlessly. Okay. Work on your tapes, create a podcast, uh, work on that stuff relentlessly. Try to get some, you know, try to get some clients on board with you. Just, just work really hard, work relentlessly, do a lot of demo tapes, a lot of auditions, get in front of the right people, keep sending your tapes out. And then here's the most important thing. Take any job that's offered to you. Just get your foot in the door. My first job in this business was an in, was as an intern. I was an intern. Uh, made no money, worked for an entire summer. At the end of my internship at 560 WQAM, I actually interned on Luke Shambi's show, Midday Show. He does Sunday Night Baseball, baseball for ESPN. Um, I took that job knowing I wouldn't make any money and also knowing that there was no guarantee there would actually be a paying job for me. And I was fine with that. Uh, and I'll tell you a quick story. I did that internship. The summer of 97 at WQAM uh, for the midday show was Boog Shambi and Chris Moore, I believe. And at the end of the internship, there was no job for me. Um, And so I went back to what it is that I was doing. And in fact, I left South Florida altogether. But I made a great impression on the program director while I was there. So I'm up in New York. I'm working for the Knicks and Rangers in sales. And a year later, I get a call from Josh Darrow, uh, who was the program director at the time for 560 WQAM. And he said, listen, I didn't have a job for you then. I know you're back in New York and you're settled. You're making good money, but I have a job for you now. Uh, You impressed me and Hank Goldberg so much when you interned here uh, that his executive producer job opened up and he asked me to call you to see if you would be interested. And listen, this is what I wanted to do. I set out to do this. And at the time, back in 98, 99, Hank Goldberg had one of the biggest shows in America. Sports Illustrated did a great feature on sports radio and Hank Goldberg was one of the shows they featured. I mean, just tremendous ratings. And he gave me the name Stigatz, by the way. Uh, and I was, I was flattered that they called me a year later. I must have made a good impression. A year later, and they offered me the job. And, you know, I was hesitant to take it only from a financial standpoint. I was making really good money, living in Manhattan, but making really good money. Uh, and the offer that they gave me right on the phone was $3.75 an hour. But you know what? I said to myself, I talked to my dad. I said, Dad, this is the opportunity I've been waiting for. Uh, I am prepared to go back down to Miami. And uh, my dad said, go for it. He said, I got you. I'll support you financially. Uh, this is a great opportunity. And so that's, that's a key lesson right there. Like, even if it's an internship and you have to do it around your full-time job, which is exactly what I was doing, take anything that's going to allow you to get your foot in the door. And then once it's in the door, make a good impression. I made that impression. A year went by. I made such a good impression that when a job like that came open, they offered it to me. And then here's the other thing. If you want to do it, do it. Like when that job comes open and it's $20,000 a year, take the damn job. Because that allowed me to get my foot in the door. Hank introduced me to a bunch of people at ESPN and then off I went. Okay. And so that, that is uh, one of the best calls. Listen, it's not every day you could say, Hey, you're making six figures roughly. Um, this is the call I got while making ver- a very good living. Hey, do you want to leave that job where you're making a good living and come down and work for $3.75 an hour? And my response was, hell yeah.
And your response, if you truly want to do this, should be hell yeah. Okay? Uh, let's see what else we got here. Oh, boy. Some of these questions. And Ernie, I'm telling you, this is what happens when you invite me to do this because, because I'm getting the most random questions ever, but that's our audience. What job in radio taught you the most about being in radio? Okay, that's a good question. I was a general manager, vice president, general manager of a major market radio station, um, you know, for two or three years. And I would say that job probably taught me more than any job I've had, only from this standpoint. I learned all angles of the business. I learned sales. I learned promotion. I learned on air. I learned I learned all angles. I already had done the board hopping stuff and the producing stuff, and I was hosting shows. But being a general manager of a radio station and being a, and having the ability to have a bird's eye view of everything that's going on and be the final decision maker on a lot of key decisions uh, really was probably the best job uh, that I had in terms of really preparing me for, for all aspects of this industry. Uh, Josh Darrow just writes in, did I happen to make your Twitter live? And I said, yes, he's the program director who hired me at, uh, at WQAM. Uh, what stocks do I like? I'm not asking that. Uh, someone said, I have a booger in my right nostril. So does Clooney. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Any regrets in your career? I do not have a single regret in my career. I thought I might one day when we started the station locally down here at seven. It's a good question. Um, when we started the station locally down here, seven, I did take it in Miami. Um, I was scheduled to do the midday show. Dan was doing afternoons. Um, and then Dan called me about a week before we launched and he asked me, Oh, I slowed it down there. Dan asked me, um, he said, listen, I don't want to do the show alone. I, I need a co-host. And I said, okay, who do you want me to go get? And he originally said, Boog Shambi, who was his best friend. And Dan likes to work with his friends, but Boog was not available. So he said, I said, okay, well, Boog's not available. Who do you want me to get? And he goes, <laughs> he said, well, Boog told me, uh, you'd be good. And I said, but I'm doing a midday show. And he goes, well, you're not going to have an afternoon show unless you do the show with me. So you're up, you're in. And, uh, and so I ended up doing the show with Dan. And I only tell you that I thought at the time, maybe I'd regret leaving the opportunity to have my own show to go do a show with Dan. But in actuality, uh, it's the uh, best decision I ever made because uh, the show was turned into the biggest show in, in sports radio. How about that? Biggest show in sports radio history. And what I mean by best decision I ever made was I could have either trusted myself to host my own show and hopefully make it to ESPN or WFAN, or I could ride Dan's coattails all the way to ESPN. And I'm telling you, I chose wisely. That was the much easier path. How about that? Uh, why is Roy so angry with people? I don't know. It's just Roy's nature. Leave him alone. Okay. We love Roy. Uh, can you get into playing a persona or a character in journalism? The beautiful thing about what it is that I'm doing is I'm not playing. I'm being myself. I don't have to fake it. It's an exaggerated version of myself. Uh, but what you hear on the radio and what you see on TV is who and what I am. I mean, I am a sportsman. I am you. One day, you know, the Jet coach is the best coach in America. And the next day I want to fire him. And it's not even day to day. It could be play to play. It could be drive to drive, quarter to quarter. Um, so what I love so much about the role I play on our show and doing this job in general is just allows me to be myself. I'm not faking my way through it. What you see is what you get. And I think that's a good lesson for a lot of people out there. Just be yourself. If yourself's not enough, then this probably isn't for you. But be yourself. Don't live a lie. Just be yourself. I mean, I am what I am. You know, a lot of the things that Dan's, again, it's exaggerated, 
But a lot of the things that Dan and the shipping container, Chris, Mike, all those guys will make fun of me. Billy, Roy will make fun of me about. I mean, they have every right to make fun of me about those things because most of them are true. Not as exaggerated as we make it out to seem, but but most of it's true. Um, and so that is really a very enjoyable part of the job is just being able uh, to be myself. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Do I miss lacrosse right now? Of course I do. Biggest challenge on the show. The biggest challenge, well, listen, I will tell you what we're going through right now is a challenge for everyone, but it's very challenging when we're not in the studio, okay? Uh, our show, you would not know it, but our show requires a lot of communication, non-spoken communication, a lot of eye contact. Timing is very important on our show. Uh, and so the biggest challenge with our show is, I'd say if we're in studio, it's just, it's paying attention, which I don't often do, and hitting all the notes, hitting the right notes. Uh, is definitely the most challenging thing. It's uh, our show is is a lot of timing is involved and a lot of jokes and 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 so you know getting the timing down is probably the most difficult thing. I would say um, outside of the studio, the hardest thing that's that's the biggest challenge we have is when Dan and I are in two separate places, which isn't often, uh, but we're in two places and the timing isn't where it needs to be and. And the show suffers. That's just the uh, that's just the way it works. Uh, someone asks about here about you know the acceptance of roles. I think what makes our show work. Um, they're talking about you know how long did it take you to accept the role the role that you had. Uh, I fought with it for a while. I did. I wanted to be serious guy. I always tell people, and I say this respectfully to Christopher Mad Dog Russo. When I stopped trying to be Chris Russo and started mocking Chris Russo, that's when my career took off. Um, I fought my role for a long time because I wanted to be Dan. I wanted to be Ernie. I wanted to be taken seriously. I wanted to be a serious sports guy. And, but again, everyone has a different path and everyone um, has different strengths and different weaknesses. And I remember Dan telling me early on, like, Hey, you just being you is enough. That's what I need. I got the serious stuff. I need you. And that makes it easy. Uh, the acceptance of role. I did fight it. I fought it for a year or two. Uh, because I wanted to be Boog Shambi. I wanted to be Ernie Johnson. I wanted to be Mike Greenberg. I wanted to be Chris Russo, Mike Francesa, Dan Levitard, Ernie Johnson. But then about two years in, after having some success and realizing that my character and my personality was enough, because uh, as Dan will say, they kind of you know built the show around me with me being the star of the show, um, which is debatable, to be honest with you. Um, but once I truly accepted the role and saw what it was doing for our show and doing for my career, and it probably took two years, I would say that's where my career really took off, and that's where the show uh, really took off. And so, yeah, I fought it for a while, but then I realized, hey, you know what? There's a lane here. There's an avenue for, for a dope like me to just go out and be himself, and, uh, and, that's, and that's what I did, and, and I'm grateful for it every single day. Um, let's see what else we got here ultimate team player. I'm not the ultimate team player. I did what I had to do to fit in and to make it in this industry. I appreciate you saying that. Uh, how much did LeBron joining the Heat help the show? It helped it tremendously. Uh, I always say that studio that we have down in South Beach, Dan calls it the house that Dan built. And I'd say, no, it's the house that LeBron built. I mean, that put us on the map. It did. It really did. Having LeBron down here and listen, you get lucky, right? Like having LeBron in our town, the big three, the first team to do that, I guess, second after the Celtics. Uh, but no question about it. Having LeBron down here for those four years, two titles, really put our show. We were already. Uh, anyway, so my apologies. Yeah, so having LeBron down here really, really helped. All right, let's see what else we have. This is great. 
Am I coming back to Minerva? Yes, I go there every summer. Uh, let's see what else we have. Pratist on air moment. I don't know if I have a uh, a proudest on air moment. Um, you know, I've had some opportunities. I would say the proudest moment I've had professionally is I wrote a Father's Day article that went on ESPN.com uh, about the relationship I have with my dad. Uh, and and uh, that was and, and just the reaction I got from my father uh, when he read that article. And I never set out to be a writer. Uh, I would say that's my proudest moment probably in this industry. And this is a close second doing what it is I'm doing right now because I'm doing it for Ernie Johnson. Like, I don't know if you guys realize Ernie Johnson is like, whoo. I mean, that is like top of the food chain, man, when it comes to credibility and broadcast polish and all that. And so I would say, yeah, writing that Father's Day. Uh, in fact, let me reverse that, okay? Father's Day article that landed on ESPN.com and my dad crying and weeping because I wrote it for him. That's number two. Doing this for Ernie is number one. How about that? Are you and Pablo cool? Yeah, of course me and Pablo are cool. I love Pablo. Um, how often do you shave? Sundays. That's how often I shave. I shave on, on, on every Sunday. Uh, most nervous time on the air. Uh, I would encourage all of you to go back and listen to the Chuck Norris interview that Dan and I did many, many years ago. It's the most nervous I've ever been, only from this standpoint. We built it up so long and so well and that we did days of shows on Chuck Norris, then we finally got him on. And the first and last time Dan has ever done this in 16 years, he threw it, unbeknownst to me, I think Dan was nervous too. We had Chuck on, he threw it to me for the first question, and I completely botched it. And that's the most nervous and embarrassed I've actually uh, ever been uh, on the air. Favorite recurring guest. God put me in a bad spot by asking that. Uh, my favorite recurring guest. Who was on today? Uh, Ron McGill is my favorite recurring guest. Kenny G is certainly there. Mort is there. Tim Kirchin is certainly up there. Have I covered all my bases yet? Uh, who is smarter, Dan or Bomani? Um, you would have to ask Levitar that. I don't know. Dan says that, like, the only person he's ever felt, I should say the only person, one of the few in terms of matching his intelligence level is Bomani. So that should give you some idea. Uh, there aren't many smarter than Dan, I can tell you that. Um, I have a podcast. Any advice for podcasters? Yeah, I gave some advice earlier. My favorite producer, by the way, is a good question. Um, favorite producer, I'll get back to the podcasting one in a second. Um, do I like Colin Coward? Of course I like Colin Coward. Um, let me think. Favorite producer. I'm going to say uh, Mike. Michael Guillermo. Roy Cody. That is my favorite producer. It's one person. Michael Guillermo Roy Cody. That is my favorite producer. Uh, back to the podcast. I gave that advice earlier. Uh, do something, work at it, work hard at it, and make sure it stands out and make sure it has your personality and your spirit. Most importantly, find some sales contacts because I'm telling I can't, listen, I cannot understate that enough. Having relationships in sales, listen, there are Dan Levitards okay, who could do this on their own, and it doesn't matter if they have any advertisers backing them or not, or not. And then there's everyone else, me and everyone else. And I'm telling you, you better have some advertisers of dollars to bring to the table, okay? I'm telling you, that's the best advice I could give you. I'm serious. Because when the people hire, they're going to hire. If everyone's equal, they're going to probably hire uh, the person who brings dollars to the table. Uh, let's see. Maddest I've ever been to Dan. I don't really get mad. Uh, I think Dan would tell you the reason our relationship has worked so well and has worked so well for so long 
is because I let things roll off my back. I mean, listen, the show was designed to make fun of me. It's also designed to help me be the star. And there are times, Dan says this all the time, where you're trying to be funny and it crosses a line where you're being mean. And occasionally, yeah, I have felt that where I've driven home and I'm upset, but I let it go. The, the number one rule we have on our show is every single day when you walk into that studio, check your ego in at the door. That's it. I mean, even Dan. Dan makes fun of himself. He allows us to make fun of him. I make fun of myself. I allow everyone to make fun of me. Uh, and the reason Dan and I have had such a good relationship is we don't get mad at each other. We just don't. Uh, I, can, I can maybe count on one hand the amount of times that Dan and I have been angry at each other, upset at each other, and actually gotten into a fight. Usually that stuff ends when the show ends. I don't, I don't really – I have an amazing ability to not hold on to some of that stuff. Uh, how much pain were you in? Were you hurt yourself? Seven Nation? Oh, no. Um, they're talking about when LeBron left and how much pain I was in. I hurt my back because uh, just the way we were doing the show. Um, that was a tough day when LeBron left. Uh, you know, when he got on that stage, he said not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, not seven, not eight. I figured it was going to be eight or nine years. Uh, listen, it wasn't six, seven, or eight. It was two, and I was upset at him. But I've gotten over it. Uh, no love for Fat Chris? No, I, I mentioned Chris. I said my favorite producer is Mike <laughs> Guillermo Roy Cody. That is that is my favorite producer. Uh, am I hitting the range? I am not hitting the range. Um, I'm not answering favorite dead shows. I'm not doing that. You guys want to ask me real questions. Uh, and Tony. Tony is certainly a... Uh, Tony is certainly... What is a sports media personality that doesn't currently do radio would be great at it? That is a good question. Uh, the current, so the current guy who's on TV who would be great at doing talk radio. Uh, I would certainly put Barkley in that category. I, I think if you gave Charles Barkley a show, um, you know, it would be... I always thought Barkley and Kenny Smith would have a great radio show. Ernie would have to drive it. Um, and kind of play traffic cop, but I always thought that they would have, I, I think that's the show right there. I think Ernie, I think, I think Charles and Kenny Smith uh, would have, would have an amazing show. I'm trying to think of some other TV personalities that would translate over uh, into radio. I'm struggling uh, off the, off the top of my head. What's next after radio? Uh, next after radio for me is retirement. I mean, <laughs> I hope, I hope, uh, I hope Dan and I continue to do this for, for, a while longer. I don't know how Dan feels about that, but, uh, you know, I, I, I've never felt better. I've never enjoyed doing this more and I hope to, to keep doing it for, for as long as I can. Uh, again, it just, it just doesn't feel like work to me. Uh, is Jay Williams a good guy? Random question. Yes. Have you ever pulled off a heist? No, I have not. Um, did the show change much after going national? That's a very good question. So, uh, when we did the show locally in Miami, um, going national was a really difficult decision. The difference between local and national is something that I think we still struggle with today, Dan and I, I do. Um, when we did the show locally in Miami, um, it was like the wild, wild west of radio. AM radio in a local market is, is like the wild, wild west. We literally got away with anything and everything um, and talked about everything and anything. Um, I think what happened when we went national, and, by, and I will tell you this, we struggled with the decision because we were the number one show in Miami. And I know that sounds crazy. ESPN comes knocking. You just take that and you do it. You do it blindly. Um, that was more my attitude uh, than, than Dan's. Dan really wanted to think it through and liked our little slice of, of heaven down here in Miami. 
Um, that was that was a really, really difficult decision because we knew the show was going to change. A, it was eventually going to change time slots. And B, we just knew the content uh, was going to change and there would be more eyeballs and there would be more ears listening. And, and so maybe some of the stuff we were doing locally would translate uh, nationally. And so that was a big struggle. I would say, I don't want to, has it gotten sportier since we've gone national? Yeah, a little bit, but we work at ESPN. But in, def- in the defense of ESPN, when they hired me and Dan, the one thing that Dan and I were adamant about was, hey, uh, we don't want the show to change. And to ESPN's credit, they have not tried to change it. Any changes that you have noticed on our show, if you're a longtime listener, were done by me, Dan, Mike, and our crew. Uh, ESPN has not told us to do anything. They have, they have to their word. Uh, they said, we don't want to change you guys. We just want it to be a personality-driven show. Uh, do your thing. And they have not gotten in the way at all. And I can tell you from, from me and Dan's standpoint, we appreciate that greatly. They have, been, they have been nothing short of amazing to both of us and our entire show since we started. How different is Around the Horn versus the radio show? Uh, being on TV and radio is really the question. What's the difference between being on TV and radio? TV people are going to hate me for saying this. I think doing radio is harder. I think if you go from TV to radio, that is a much more difficult task than going from radio to TV. Um, radio, you're ad-libbing all the time. You're basically, for the most part, working without a script. TV is very scripted. And so I would say um, the difference between doing the show and doing something like Around the Horn Around the Horn fits my personality very well. So it kind of fits what it is that I do. It's just me, you know, Tony throwing it to me and me giving hot takes. And so that works within my personality uh, very well. Same with First Take. Um, I don't know how I would do if I were sitting there doing Ernie's job or Reese Davis's job. I don't know because I've never done it. I'd like to think that I could do it pretty well, but I have no idea. Um But it's a big difference. TV, listen, here's the big difference with radio and TV. What I love about radio is you get to spread out. uh, The audience gets to know you. I've certainly let everyone inside of my my personal life, my home, my family. I've given you over 16 years, basically, I have given my entire life to you on the radio. Um, And I think that's one of the things that, that makes our show work. Okay, I'm not saying Reese Davis is a traffic cop. I'm just saying Reese Davis is very good at what he does. And I'm not certain I could do what it is Reese Davis uh, does. Um, But, uh, you know, that is, you know, doing it the way Dan and I have done it has really uh, has really has really made it made it easy. Um, Just being able to be myself has made it has made it uh, has made it very, very easy. Uh, You seem like a generally good dude. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, what to watch on Netflix. Watch the Tiger thing we've been talking about for the last seven days. We're all just waiting around for the Jordan thing to come. Uh, best John Mayer, non-Dead and Company song. Best John Mayer song? Or, oh, the best song John Mayer has done with Dead and Company. I think he does Althea as good as Jerry did. Maybe even Deal. And I know Dead fans are going to get mad at me. I don't want to hear about it, okay? Uh, let's see. I'm not going to read that. When will you retire? Please don't. I have no plans on retiring. I don't know. <laughs> I can't say the same for Dan, but I have no... I have no plans uh, on retiring. When do you know you had a unique show that would take off? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I knew we had a, a unique show about two and a half years into it. Um, we had really found our footing. We had a lot of conversations with a lot of people we trusted. Our show in the first year was dreadful. That's another important part. Having an employer who will allow you to find your footing. There are too many shows who don't get long enough time to kind of figure out what it is they want to do and how they're going to go about doing it. We were afforded that opportunity. We were given the time. 
Uh, and I would say the biggest, the biggest change we made was at the beginning, the show was dreadful. It was awful. I interviewed, I didn't know Dan. We had no relationship. So it was me interviewing Dan for three hours, four hours every single day. It was terrible. Dan will tell stories of him riding around his bike in his neighborhood in Pember Pine trying to figure out how to make this thing better. And then we spoke to a lot of people that we trusted. And the one change that we made, subtle but big, was I was no longer driving the show. It was the Dan Levitard show, Wits to Gots. And we had many people tell us, hey, if it's the Dan Levitard show, Wits to Gots, Dan has to drive the show. And so we made that switch because that way Dan could control what it is we were talking about. I was just guessing what Dan wanted to talk about. Uh, that way, Dan is the first voice you hear. He's driving the topics. He's driving the conversations. And I'm just responding to the topics and the conversations. That was so being able to have the time to find your footing is very important. And I would tell GMs and program directors out there, and I do all the time, if you're going to put a new show together and you think that it has some potential, give it two to three years to breathe. Let them find their footings. Let them figure it out, because that's how long it took me and Dan, almost two to three years to figure it out. But I was the general manager of the station. And so I was getting the rating books. And back then. It was Arbitron books, okay? And literally, they were mailing it to people. They would pay you a buck or two. You would fill it out, and you would send it back to them. Uh, I knew we were onto something two years into it because the show just started to feel better because we made that subtle change of Dan driving the show and not having me drive the show. So I knew it felt better internally, inside, for both me and Dan. But then the ratings backed it up. I started, because I was a general manager, I would be the first one to, to, to absorb and see those rating books. And for, for a while, I kind of knew where Dan and I were going to be, meant 25, 54, afternoon drive. It was some 13, 14, 15. So one time I got a rating book, I don't know, three years in, and I went immediately to the mid-teens because that's where we usually fell, and I didn't see our names. And rather than, you know, have the confidence to, to go up into the top 10 and see if we were there, I went backwards. And... I got down to 27, 28, 20. I still didn't see our names. I'm like, oh, my God, are we so bad that we did great? And then I went the other way to the top 10. And we weren't 10. We weren't 9. We weren't 8. We weren't 7. We weren't 6. We weren't 5. We weren't 4. We weren't 3. We, were number one, we weren't 2. We were number 1. And so the feeling that Dan and I had inside that we were doing a good show uh, was validated by that rating book. And then we were number 1 just about every book uh, the rest of the way. And so it's nice to have. Listen, it's a flawed way the rating system, and I don't want to get bogged down in how they do it, but it is flawed. But to have, to, to have that number one next to your name, to validate what it is that you're feeling was certainly important to us. And so that's kind of, kind of when I knew, uh, did you have a fallback plan? Yeah, I was almost out of the business. Um, that's a great question. Um, I was almost at, the fallback plan was actually being executed while I was trying to make it in this business. I was working in finance. I was, there was a year, a, a period of a year and, and again, when I tell you guys, you have to do whatever it is you have to do to make it in this business if you truly want it badly enough, okay? I was doing a morning show, 6 to 10 in the morning on 940 Fox Sports Radio. And then once that show was over, I was going to work at my job in finance. And I kept telling myself, I got like another year of this. Uh, and, and then I'm going to have to drop the dream of doing sports radio and just pursue a career in finance. If I wasn't doing this, I'd be working on Wall Street somewhere like the rest of my friends. And so... Thankfully, it all worked out. I didn't have to do that. But for, for probably 18 months, I was doing that morning show and then leaving that morning show and headed to my job in, uh, in finance. So uh, that was the backup plan. It, it was the backup plan all along. Uh, did your dad really? Well, I don't even understand that question. 
Uh, let me see. How'd you come up with weekend observation segment? That's a good question. Um, listen, some segments are planned. Uh, some segments happen organically. We tend to let everything uh, happen organically on our show. Uh, the weekend observations segment, which Dan still maintains, is the most popular segment on our show. I'm not certain if it is or it isn't. Um, but that, uh, that came simply because, you know, I had my iPhone and I was just keeping notes in it. And one day I blurted out during the commercial breaks, hey, I got a ton of, you know, I got some notes. And Mike said, oh, let's just go through them one by one. And we did. And they were funny. And then we decided to make it a weekly segment. And then Mike added that annoying beep. And then, uh, and then uh, off we went. And so it's, I, I've had more comments about that segment and that bit. Than, than anything we've done. And so uh, that's been really, really cool. So uh, I just, I, I just took notes on my phone one day and uh, started reading them during the breaks. Mike laughed at them, said, let's do this on air. We did it. We turned it into a segment. Someone said, Mike is a genius. And yeah, Mike's a genius. Listen, I am telling you at the, at, that's another example. Mike getting, Mike was a listener of our show. Mike got an internship on our show. He listened to our show, loved it, got an internship. And now he's turned into an executive producer and he got so good at producing that now other opportunities have come his way. Television, radio, he's doing stuff with Chelsea. And that's exactly what I'm telling you. Figure out the one thing you want to do. Master that thing. Pursue it relentlessly. And all the other opportunities will come once you've made it at that one specific thing. It's the best advice I can give you. But Mike is a genius. I will tell you that producing executive producer of our show specifically, me and Dan, forget it. God, I'm a pain in the ass. But um that show specifically is very hard to produce um and mike has done a phenomenal job and i will tell you that at the point of execution which which means in the show because there are plenty of things to do outside the show booking guests coordinating stuff coming up with bits editing producing all that stuff that mike does when we're not on the air all those guys do a great job billy mike chris tony roy they all do a great job but at the point of execution, when we're in it, when we're in the show, okay, for my money, there's no one better than Mike. Nobody. And I will tell you, a big reason for our success is being able to trust the person that you're looking at for three or four hours every day. And Dan and I trust him blindly. We really do. And the guy we had before him, his name was Mark Hockman. Many of you know him. Same way. Uh, when Dan and I, it is very important for hosts to be able to look across the glass and see someone standing tall confident smart funny has the sound we need when we need it uh has a line to deliver uh either on the air or in my headset or dan's when we need it knows us very well has taken the time to get us know us very well and i would say having an executive producer like mike and the rest of the guys billy chris roy tony i won't leave any of them out that as that is as important to our success as anything and the reason we're able to still do this dan being over 50 now me being 47 it's because those guys keep us young. They, they keep us young. They keep us informed. Uh, because as you get older, priorities change. You have families. Just stuff happens. And those guys have really done a phenomenal job of, of keeping us going, keeping us informed, keeping us entertaining. But at the point of execution, Mike is, is – and I've done it. I've been an executive producer of a radio show. I'm telling you, it's hard. Mike's the best I've seen. Uh, if, you had a, if you had a TV show, what would it be like? Uh, I mean, I have a TV show. It's on 10 to 1 ESPN News. Uh, every day. I guess you mean my own show. It would just be me spitting hot takes. That's all. Um, I don't know. I haven't really thought about it too much. 
Uh, can I do this every day? I mean, if Ernie wants to have me back, I'll do it every day. I mean, it's, uh, that's up to Ernie. Uh, let's see what else we got. How do I get an internship with the show? I, I, I honestly, you're going to laugh at me? I don't know. Uh, what's your favorite moment of your career? Favorite moment of my career? I would tell you the favorite moment of my career is probably, it's either the first day. I've had three great moments, okay? I got to host a show on WFAN. It was a thrill of a lifetime. Uh, the day I agreed to work at ESPN and the first time we went on the air at ESPN uh, is probably the greatest moment of, of, not probably, it's the greatest moment of, of my career. Uh, the third is getting Greg Cody on the Horn Network out. Those three. So ESPN, WFAN, Cody, Horn Network out. How did I meet Dan? Good question. Uh, I didn't know Dan. I was producing Hank Goldberg's show, and Hank spent his entire show every day ripping Dan and ripping the things that he wrote for the Miami Herald. And so I said, if someone can make Hank Goldberg that angry, that someone has to be very good at what he does. I didn't know him. I didn't have a relationship with him. Uh, Boob Shambi did. I was very close with Boob. Dan is best friends with Boob. He was the common denominator. He introduced us. I met Dan at a Starbucks one day in Pembroke Pines. I told him about I was, you know, the fact that I was starting up a radio station. I'm not going to start unless he's my afternoon drive host. And uh, that's the first time we met. In that Starbucks, he agreed to be the afternoon drive host. He said, why me? I said, anyone who can make Hank that mad has to be good at this. And then Boog also told me, hey, um, there's a great personality, a caring, genuine personality in there that's also very, very funny and engaging. And it can't come out in print, but it will come out on the radio. And uh, so that's how I met Dan. I met Dan strictly by starting a radio station with a group of four other guys and wanting him to be our afternoon host. Um, and then Boog setting us up at a uh, Starbucks in Pembroke Pines. And, and of course, within an hour, uh, I got Dan to agree to the terms. How about that? Um, let's see. What else do we have? How do you balance work and life? That's a very, very good question. It's hard. It's difficult because when you do what we do for a living, you're always thinking. You're always thinking about the next bit. You're always thinking about the last bit. Uh, you're always thinking about the last show. How could we have done that better? Um, I know people, Dan, we give off a lot that we're lazy. We're not. I watch most of the shows back, not because I want to hear the sound of my own voice. It's because for this reason. Was it as funny as we thought it was when we were in it? Was it as bad as we thought it was when we were in it? And the only two way, the only way to determine whether it was as good as you thought it was or bad as you thought it is by going back and watching and listening. What you'll learn is it's never as funny as you thought it was, and it's never as bad as you thought it was when you were in it. What you'll also learn by watching it back and listening to it back is, hey, if I do enough of this, watching back, listening back, and, and if I give myself a fair critique, I'll be able to do it better, will be able to do it better the next time we do it. And so um, it's super important to go back. It's like watching athletes will tell you the tape doesn't lie. Go back and watch that. You can learn more as an athlete from watching your past performances than anything. Uh, I've had a ton of athletes tell me that. And I learn a lot just by listening back to our show and watching our show back, how we can do things better. And I'll tell Dan, if we had a bad segment, hey, I watched it back. It wasn't as bad as you thought it was. And he can't really argue with me on it because he didn't watch it back. I did. And so it puts things in, uh, in perspective. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Drink of choice in the golf course. I don't really drink on the golf course. I take golf very seriously. Uh, I'm 22 years old. Is it too late to pursue this career? No, it's never too late to pursue this career. Um, I didn't get my first big break until I was nearly 30. I will tell you one very important part, and, and I apologize for leaving this out. 
is it takes a while for some people it could take a long time to make it in this career i was one of those people i didn't really make it make it until uh you know early 30s and so to have parents who supported me financially and emotionally uh, the way my parents did was which was a huge plus for me because Having mom and dad support me both emotionally and financially because they knew this is what I wanted to do for a living and they both thought that I would eventually get there. Them supporting me financially and allowing me and literally buying me the time to be able to make it in this career uh, is something that I am forever grateful for um, and, uh, and greatly appreciative. Now, not everyone has that same scenario and some people will have to work two different jobs to make ends meet. But if you want to be in this business long enough, um, you know, you'll have to do what it is you have to do. For me, I was afforded the opportunity to have parents who financially supported me long enough for me to make it. But even with that said, I just told you the story. Uh, I was nearing the end because I was like, hey, I'm getting close. I'm 30. I don't want to have mom and dad supporting me financially forever. And that's why I took the job in finance. So I could A, start supporting myself and B, I had a backup plan in case I didn't make it here. Uh, let's see. I don't know. I don't even know what time it is. Let me check the time here. 2.58. I got two minutes left. Two to three, I agreed to. Will the Knicks ever win a title? No. How long is a workday at ESPN? That's a good question. Uh, when you're in this industry, it, it's not work. But I will tell you, whatever it is that we do, it doesn't feel like work. It isn't work, but it never stops. It's 24-7. It never stops. I mean, especially the way we do it. Uh, it just never stops. So a typical work day is all day, every day, including the weekends. That's everything's content. That's just the way it is, or potential content. Um, let's see what else we got. Best day at ESPN. The first day and every day after has been the best day at ESPN. Favorite candy, peanut M&M's. Someone asked me why I haven't approached a men's razor company. It's called Dollar Shave Club. It's just, listen, we're all quarantined. Now, I mean, do I have to shave, please? Ernie told me to just be myself. Uh, book recommendations. Um, the Ben Hogan Golf, Basic Golf, I forget the name of it. That's that's my favorite book of all time. It's short, and it, teach, it taught me how to be a scratch golfer, essentially. Uh, let's see. When are we getting George R.R. R. Martin on? Uh, I, I don't know. I see him once a year at Mexico on a beach watching dead shows together, and, uh, and that's about it. Uh, favorite 90s baseball player, Gorman Thomas. I think he played in the 90s, Milwaukee Brewers. Um, let's see what else we got. Favorite golf course and lowest score. Favorite golf course is Augusta. Haven't played it. Uh, lowest scores in 81. I have not gotten to the seventies yet. Drives me crazy. Um, are you a bad reader or does the show? No. Uh, so that's a good question. That's me just accepting the role. I'm not a bad reader. I can actually read, but there are certain words I struggle with. I'm sorry. And like reading, I'm, I'm not saying it's a strong point. It's not a strong suit for me. But uh, Mike and Roy, who are in charge of the copy, the update copy, they are purposely putting words in there and stories in there that they know I'm going to trip over. And I don't care because I know the audience loves it. I don't care. Honestly, at the end of the day, I win. I'm doing that for a living. I'm being myself for a living. And so I don't care. They put these words. I don't get angry. It's funny. We're not going to take ourselves too seriously. Remember, don't take yourself too seriously. Um, Let's see. What else do we got? Wash your hands still. I wash them every five minutes, although I haven't done it in the last hour. But I did it right before uh, we came here. I love you guys, too. All the people saying, uh, I love you guys. Uh, where do the names to gods come from? Good question. Got it from Hank Goldberg. Um, 
first year on his show. I told him, I think I told him, I get the names mixed up all the time. It's right around when the Sopranos came out. Um, and the name of Tony's boat was to God. And um, I told Hank Reggie Wayne was coming on, I think, University of Miami wide receiver. It wasn't Reggie Wayne. It was Santana Moss, something like that. It was either Moss and then it was Wayne. It was one of those two combinations. Um, and Hank, being the pro that he was, got through the interview, even though uh, the questions I gave him were for Reggie Wayne and he was interviewing Santana Moss. Um, and then after the interview was over, Hank said, Stu, have you, or he said, John, because I hadn't been named Stu Got yet, have you watched this new show, The Sopranos? I said, yeah, it's great. He said, uh, do you know the name of Tony's boat? I said, no. He said, look it up and tell the audience when you, when you come back, because that's your nickname uh, moving forward forevermore. I said, okay. Looked it up during the break, came back. He asked me to come to the mic. He asked me to blurt out the name. I said, if I do that, we're going to lose our license. Um, and so uh, I didn't blurt it out. He did. Uh, we did not lose our license. The name was Tugats. Uh I have fought it. I fought it for years. Um, but it has turned out to be a blessing. It stands out. It's different. And the last time I saw Hank and spoke to Hank, I actually... I actually, I told him that story. I said, man, was I mad at you for giving that, giving me that nickname? And, and it's really one of the best things. He's, it's maybe the greatest thing uh, that he did for me. So uh, I appreciate that. I, I really do. Uh, why do we torture ourselves with the goddamn Jets? Because we're idiots. Uh, what makes Howard Stern so great? That's a good question. Uh, what, in my opinion, what makes Howard so great? And I think what makes Dan so great, I think they'll both tell you this. Doing radio by, its, by yourself is hard. It is hard. It, it is Will Kane, Colin Cowherd, God bless you. Even Colin has someone to bounce things off of. Even Will uses his production staff. But in terms of doing it by yourself, um, it is super, super difficult. And th those two guys I just mentioned, uh, for my money, do it as well as, as, as anyone in sports. The best I've ever heard do it is Neil Rogers, the guy who was local down here, 560 uh, WQAM did a midday show. He's the best guy I've ever heard do a solo show. Uh, but what makes Howard so great and I think Dan and Howard, all, all the greats at doing this, would tell you that doing it by yourself is really hard. So I think what makes Howard great is, A, best interviewer I've ever heard. Dan's a close second. I'm probably third. Uh, Howard listens. He listens. It's not just about talking. It's about listening to your staff, to the crew, to the guests you have on. Howard is at good. I know this sounds like ridiculous skill but it's the most important one in fact when we asked dan patrick the key to doing this when we started at espn his answer was simple listen listen to your co-host listen to your guests listen to your audience listen to your staff uh what howard does an amazing job better than anyone has ever done this is he listens he listens he doesn't miss a thing he hears everything and that furthers the conversation advances the conversation and gives them more content the other thing i would tell you is think how good howard is at communicating Think how interesting Howard is. Think how Dan is at communicating. Think how interesting Dan is. Yet they can't do it alone. They all need a cast around them. And so whether it's Robin and Baba Bowie and Howard's entire staff, I think Howard and Dan would be the first ones to tell you their success in large part has to do with the great staffs that they have surrounded themselves with. All the different voices, personalities, all that stuff makes a difference. It, e it eases the burden of content for the main host, and it allows just different voices, different personalities to kind of get in there. And so I think that's, that's what makes Howard so great. I mean, listen, Howard himself, he would not do that show without Robin, and the show wouldn't be the same if he were doing it without Robin. And, and same, same with me and Dan. 
when I'm left to my own devices, the show suffers. When Dan's left to his own devices, the show suffers. We both know that. It is what it is. And so I think at a, at a base level, Howard's ability to communicate, his ability to listen, Dan's ability to communicate and listen, at the base level, that's what makes them great. But their staff, the people they surround themselves with, and, and, and being fairly egoless is, is what really, I think, makes both of them really, really good. I'll stick around here for a couple of more minutes if you guys want. That's because uh, I am waiting... Uh, I am waiting on a guest to call in for my podcast and because I'm doing this out of respect for Ernie Johnson. Uh, show is gold, no replacement. Thank you. Uh, did, uh, did I ask for any of this? I did ask for this. I actually asked for this. I did. I, I, I asked Ernie for this. <laughs> I, I originally did it as a joke. I didn't think Ernie was going to take me up on the offer. I said, I'm here for you, Ernie, because it was. he's doing a class. He's doing a journalism class. I'm not a journalist. And uh, so when I sent that tweet out, it was a joke. I didn't think Ernie would take me up on the offer, but he did. And based on the reaction from you guys, I'm guessing we have more viewers to this one than any other person who's done this, okay? And my guess is when we hang up, Ernie's going to have me do 15 more of these. And that's fine. I'll do anything for Ernie. Uh, who's your favorite guest of all time? My favorite guest? Mike and the Mad Dog. It's my favorite radio. It's my favorite radio show of all time, period. Okay? That's it. Uh, there's just something about them. The voices worked. The cadences worked. Um, and they weren't athletes, and nothing against former athletes. These were two guys who watched and absorbed sports the way me and my friends did. Um, all right, let's see. 15 more live streams. That's not happening. Let's see what else we got. Uh, if you could live anywhere besides South Florida, where would it be? Uh, I would, if I could live anywhere besides South Florida, I, well, I, I'm from New York, so that's where it would be. And not so much. You know, I know New York, the whole country is going through a difficult time, and I hope we all come out of this thing okay. Um, I would say New York only because um, it would give me the ability to be closer to my family, take care of my parents and my family as I get older, be there with my brother, for my brother. Um, so, yeah, if it wasn't here, it'd be New York. Um, and in terms of where the end game is, it's either, you know, doing a local afternoon show with Tony Caselli, who my friend, God bless him, wish him well, um, texted with him the other day he tested positive for the coronavirus but the end game has always been either with the Sally afternoon drive in Jacksonville I love that man dearly by the way he'll be fine he's feeling better um or uh it's going to be somewhere in Southern California that's 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 where it's all going to end uh what is happening with this stream what happened was I got a couple of dopes who were calling me in the middle of the stream so next time I do this earning I promise I will uh, do it on my computer, not my phone. Uh, I did not, uh, like most things in my life, did not think this all the way through. Uh, Marino or Montana? Montana, four rings. Marino, none. See it. Uh, what's my favorite part of doing podcasts? Uh, working with Dan Stanzik is amazing. I love podcasts. I'm starting to, it's a good question. I'm growing into liking podcasts as much, if not more, than doing radio, only from this standpoint. Uh, I'm currently sitting in an office where I do my podcast. There's like a laboratory here. Okay. We're not doing it live. And so you can really spread out and you could take your time and listen back. And if you don't like things, you can add a sound here. Editing can really make a podcast, take it from good to great. If you're willing to put the time in, uh, to do that. And, and me and Stanzik certainly are, we have a blast doing that thing together. And, uh, and we take it very seriously. I think the thing that surprised Stanzik the most about me, cause he had never worked with me before is how seriously I take this stuff and how much I care about the product that I put out uh, every single day. Um, let's see. Will you keep working from home even when the guys are back in the Clevelander? Uh, yes. There are two things I have learned from this. 
one, that drive to and from South Florida is, is it's not healthy uh, to South Beach. I mean, it's like three hours in my car. It is. And so I've learned that uh, that and that alone is the unhealthiest thing in, in my life. And the other thing is, uh, is the other thing I've learned by through this whole thing is it's just as much as it annoys Dan, as difficult it is to do our show. Uh, in different places, uh, I'm just better. I'm better from home than I am in the studio. And that's because I don't have this, this, you know, this big bear of a man just breathing down my neck, every word I say. Like if I upset him in the studio, I have to sit there and deal with him in the studio. If I do something that takes the show off the rails from my home, I just get up and we go to commercial and I don't have to hear him yelling at me. How about that? <laughs> I'm much more relaxed, it's unbelievable. Oh, I love that. By the way, what's Dan going to do one of these? Huh? I'm asking you a question. All right, I'm going to do this for a couple more minutes, and I get donuts or bagels, bagels. Federer or Nadal, Federer. Uh, what are the members of the shipping containers' individual tasks for the show? Good question. So we have a big staff. Roy is the board op. Roy uh, also handles all the sports center uh, copy for me. Uh, make sure all the reads are done. Um, just keeps us moving along. So he's the board op. We go to break. He's hitting the buttons. He's coordinating all that stuff. He does a very good job of it. Uh, Mike Ryan's our executive producer. So he oversees the entire room. Uh, Billy's responsible along with Chris. They do a lot of editing, a lot of sound. But they also make a lot of on-air contributions. Billy is now handling guest booking. And, and we're all just, all of us, not just the staff, but all of us, we're all coming up with bits and ideas and, and guest ideas. And it's, it's, it's a process that's, that's always ongoing. Um, Tony, same thing. A lot of editing does a lot of work on the podcast, uh, network, um, which we're having a blast with. Um, so they all have different roles. Um, we work well together. We love each other. We really do. I mean, is there infighting occasionally? Yes. Do we get annoyed with each other occasionally? Yes. Um, did they get annoyed with me more than I get annoyed with them? Yes. Uh, but for some reason, it all works. We all have different responsibilities. But we also will pitch in wherever the, someone needs help. If they need help getting the guests from me, I will certainly help them. Allison's a big help. Um, and, uh, and Roy and Chris, have, uh, Billy and Chris have really done a phenomenal job, both with ideas, bid ideas, editing, sound, guest ideas. But on-air contributions, those two guys are laugh out loud funny, um, and they've really they've really helped our show from that standpoint. So, uh, let's see what else. How many people on the TV team? Oh, we got a large TV staff. You would think the show would be better with all the people we have on staff. Um, it's not. I would say there's probably seven or so on the TV side. Um, we haven't seen them in a while, so we wish them well. Uh, let's see what else we got. Is I see, it's nice to see me not in the stew character. Thank you, I appreciate that. I kind of am. Uh, why no video during the show from home? Good question. Uh, we just don't have the ability yet. I think we're working on on, on getting it, but we don't have we don't have the ability yet. Um, but we're trying. Let's see what else we got here. Let's see. Would you give up Sundays forever for a round with Augusta? That's a good question. No. Uh, will the Jets make the playoffs? Never. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Still golfing during this time. No, they shut my course down. How long am I in the studio each day? Our show's on 10 to 1, so I'm in the studio each day for three hours. 
Can we get a Murray? Sure. Murray! You look like hell, Stu. Thanks. Maybe it's the angle, the lighting. I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, what key traits do you think 560? Uh, okay, so what key, uh, key traits? That's a good question. I told the story about how I did an internship at WQAM, and they didn't have a job to offer me afterwards. Um, so that, that person was asking, what key traits do you think stuck in WQAM's mind um, that they called me a year later to offer me the Hank Goldberg job? I took it seriously. They knew how badly I wanted it. Um, I absorbed as much as I could from people like Josh Darrow, Brooke Shambi, Chris Moore. Um, Boo was a really big influence on my career and, and me getting into this business. He really was. Uh, Boo is the, the funny thing. The funny thing about Boo that people don't know is as good as he is at doing play-by-play, Boo Shambi is equally as good, if not better, at doing talk shows. I mean, there was a time where I thought Boo was one of the five talk show hosts in America. And I promise you right now that if you put Boog on the air game at Daily Show, it would be a huge success. He is that good. Um, so the traits that they remember that Josh Darrow, it's just, listen, I, I just aggressive, guest booking, willingness to do anything, willingness to do overnights, updates, edit, whatever they needed me to do, I did. And that stuck out and they remembered it and they called me back uh, a year later. Um, Stu, you look terrible. It's the fourth one of those I've gotten. Like, something clever, please. If you want to insult me, please do. But please make it clever, okay? Uh, Curtis Morton or Le'Veon Bell? Curtis Morton. Uh, let's see. Where is Dan? I don't know. He's doing his TV show. I, don't, I have no idea what he's doing. Uh, how rich is Dan? Uh, worry about your own money. Uh, let's see. What's the last book you read? Um, the last book I read was that golf book. It's the only book I read. It taught it just, it was the grip that Hogan's grip. I don't know the name of the book, but it's a little red book and it teaches you how to hold the club correctly. And since then my golf game has, uh, has taken off best grateful dead show ever, uh, JFK stadium, hell in a bucket loser, 19, I want to say 89 or 87. I don't remember, but I, I can't remember what we did in the show today, but I can remember the set list, for my favorite dead show of, uh, of all time. Uh, let's see. Best way to spend five dollars. Uh, go to the Levitard shop and buy a Stigato Army T-shirt. They're more than five dollars. I would buy something with my name on it, so I get a piece of it. Uh, best Dead song. I don't have a Best Dead song. Uh, if you like Dead, you like all their songs. I can give you a handful of songs that I love: Althea, China Rider, Scarlet Fire, uh, Loser, Deal, Sugary, Ship of Fools. Uh, worst sports team: The Jets. Duh. Uh, Someone wants me to be the best man at their wedding. Eh, I mean, for the right amount, perhaps. Um, did I love Chad Pennington? Of course it is. The best quarterback the Jets have ever had in my lifetime. Uh, favorite sports nickname? Hmm, that's a good one. I don't know. I don't know. Chocolate Thunder. How about that? I'm looking at these questions. I love you, too. What was my best lacrosse moment? Uh, the game in which I scored nine goals in one game. Uh, actually, you know what? Best lacrosse moment was the time that I was coaching my daughter's team because I said this with, with Kobe. Um, the real tragic, I mean, obviously it's, it's tragic, but what made it so relatable for so many people and so sad to me having daughters and, and one daughter who plays lacrosse at a very high level and I'm able to coach her team um, was it is infinitely better watching your kid do it than it is doing it yourself. And 
we couldn't relate to Kobe on the basketball court. Who could? In the best of all time. Um, how could you relate to what it is he could do on a basketball court? But we can all relate to him being a parent and him teaching his daughter uh, how to play basketball and being the coach and taking her to practice and all that. And what made it really heartbreaking for me, outside of the obvious, was Kobe was as great of a life as, as he had before that, that fatal day with the helicopter. He was just getting to the best parts. And the guy won five titles. And he was just getting to the best parts of his life where he was able to watch his daughter do it as opposed to him doing it himself. And he was stripped of that way too early. They were stripped of that uh, way too early. And so he was just getting to the best parts, man, because I'm telling you, I'm living it right now. You ask me the best, you know, the best part of my lacrosse career was not anything I did on the field, you know, and I played in college and I played at a very good high school in Long Island. Uh, but the best thing I've done is being able to coach my daughter's team, Florida Select 2022, have that team become the best team in the country. And the best moment I had was we lost to a team, M&D Black, uh, two years prior, 25 to 1. They're a team in Maryland. They beat us 25 to 1. Two years later, we played them again, and we beat them 9 to 2. And that was that moment right there to see it all come full circle and see the look of, of happiness on my daughter's face and all her friends' face and being able to help them and guide them through that and coach them. That was by far uh, the best part of my lacrosse career. Uh, let's see what else we got. Am I going to go to South Dakota? I think I'm going to Sioux Falls, something like that, in September. Um, we'll see. We'll see all, the, all that's up in the air right now. Uh, do you think anyone has ever told Clooney that he looks like Stugatz? I'm certain. I mean, they look alike. Uh, Joe Namath is overrated, yes. Let's see. I'm going to take one more question about the industry, and then I'm going to get out of here. I'm not doing favorite thing that you've purchased. Nothing. Syracuse to God stay sure. Let's see what else you have. My favorite show, Rejoin. There's so many, I can't even... Okay, what happened to the weekend observation show? Cancel. Okay, let's end on that one. Uh, we didn't cancel it. I just, in fact, <laughs> this week's episode of Stupidity um, is the weekend observations group. We didn't cancel it. Uh, we just got tired of doing it Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 a.m. <laughs> that's, that's, that's really it. Um, ESPN loved the show, and I love doing the show, and I love Mike Gola Jr., and I love that crew. Um, but we just... I was in the, I was smacked in the middle of a bat mitzvah. That's my dog, by the way, Finny. I was smacked in the middle of my uh, bat and bar mitzvah uh, circuit. And so that made getting up every morning, uh, Sunday, Sunday morning at seven o'clock, very challenging, even though I just had to walk downstairs and do the show. Uh, that show was not canceled. Uh, that show ended the second Michael Jr. was too hungover to host the show. And I spent the entire morning looking for Michael Jr. on air. Uh, so much so, I was so desperate to have my, my Mike Golick Jr. on the show that I called his dad, and his dad had no idea he was missing. Now, Mike Golick Jr. Was fine, was fine. We found him. He was hungover, passed out in a hotel room, but it was right then and there we decided, hey, this show ain't going to shelf life, not too much longer. We're done with this. I got my own show Monday through Friday. Golick was do now doing Golick and Wingo, and he was doing the show every day with his dad. And so we moved on to bigger and better things. But we loved working together so much, so much 
that we decided that we wanted to carry it into to a podcast form. And so now I would say of the 60 some odd episodes I've done for Stupidity, uh, seven of them have been with Mike Golick, Mikey C, Michael Jr., excuse me, Mikey C, Mikey A, and now Dan Stanzik, who we welcome into the club. So uh, that is, uh, that's, that, that show was not canceled. It was, if it was canceled, it was canceled by me and Michael Jr. because we were tired of waking up Sunday mornings at seven o'clock. Now I will tell you people trying to get into the business, if you're offered a Sunday morning show, seven to 9 a.m., seven to 11 a.m., six to 9 a.m., five in the morning, four in the morning, you say yes, you take it, you work hard, you make it great, and more opportunities will come. That's my advice. I luckily arrived at a place where I could move on from 7 to 9 a.m. on Sunday morning. So could Michael Jr. But I will tell you right now, 24, 25, 26, trying to get into the industry. If that show was offered to me and if it's offered to you, you take it. Okay. And you latch on. See this microphone? You latch on to it with everything you have. Okay. These jobs do not come easy. They are very difficult to get. And once you have them, work hard and hang on to those jobs with everything that you have. Because it can go away in a second. All right. I love you guys. I got to go. I got to go record more podcasts. Uh, and really, my wife is tired of hearing my voice. She just, in, in case you couldn't hear it, and I was talking loudly on purpose, she just yelled into this office, shut the hell up. So I'm going to shut the hell up. Ernie, thank you for allowing me to do this. Um, and everyone, uh, we're, all, we're all in the same spot. We're all in this together. Everyone, stay safe. Please stay inside. These pictures, especially the people down here in Florida, Going outside still to beaches. What are you doing? Please stay inside so we can get back to normalcy as quickly as possible. Stay safe. Stay healthy. You, your family, and perhaps we will do this again, either under Ernie's umbrella or my own umbrella. Uh, I have no idea how Ernie's going to react to this, uh, but I will certainly let you guys know. Hopefully this went well. Hopefully this did the trick for Ernie, but I'm never certain. I have no idea. I don't know if this is exactly what he wanted, but it's what I wanted. And uh, I appreciate you guys being a part of it. All right, we'll do it again soon. See you. Thank you for tuning into this episode of VJ's Game Plan. For more information on today's guest and breaking into the sports media industry, go to our website, www.ejsgameplan.com. Tune in every week to hear from more guests on their experience in the media industry. EJ's Game Plan is brought to you by Ernie Johnson Jr., the University of Georgia's new media institute and greatest sports.